after what seemed like five years rolled into one in 2020, I don't know, or maybe 10 or 20 years rolled into one. It's hard to believe that right now we're about halfway through 2021. I really hope that our earlier summer episodes have given you some ways to practically and intentionally think differently about some of the small yet really impactful decisions that we make as part of our everyday lives. And if they have, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at hello at dearwhitewomen.com for a chance to have your story shared on social media at some point. As you saw on our Instagram feed, we are human beings who interact with other human beings. We're not just these weird voices on the other end of your earplugs. We did, for example, meet our patron page last week, or I got to finally meet her. So that's pretty exciting. I love that you gave that disclaimer, right? That we're actual humans, but we are, we are. And as we mentioned earlier, we are at that halfway point of the summer of action. So we wanted to do a quick check-in both with each other and with, you know, some of the news that's been making headlines around our communities and the world. So let's start with a quick question. Sarah, what song for you epitomizes summer? I like that you think I could know the song titles of any song that I hear. My entire family. Okay, sing it. No, no, (laughs) no, I won't. And I'm beatboxing. (laughs) I was thinking today about that episode where I actually rapped lyrics. And if anybody wants to hear anything like that again, I would absolutely do it. So you got to submit your favorite song or sorry, like a rap or like a poem that you want me to recite in rhythm. I got the rhythm. She's going to do a poetry slam over here, folks. So bring it on. But I will ask you. What about you? Okay, this is really easy for me. Summertime, right? The Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Oh, I instantly hear it. Na, 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 na. Yes. And at the very end of the song, he says, this is the Fresh Prince's new definition of summer madness. So then we have been listening to Summer Madness, which is the original song that was sampled, right? To create summertime. So if you want to feel the summer vibes, I highly encourage listening to both of those back to back. You don't have to listen to them on loop like my family does. Are they on your Dear White Women Spotify playlist? No, but I'll add them. I should do a new summer one. Oh yeah, do another Dear White Women Spotify. Anyone else out there on Spotify? Let us know if you are. Yes, but do you know something else that makes me think of summer? The Summer Olympics. See what I did there? Summer. I'm not amused. Anyway. I love you though. Looks like you are. Okay, anyway. (laughs) And in a full disclosure of just how old I am, I'm going to tell a story. When I was seven, the Olympics came to Los Angeles as part of the Summer Olympics. And yeah, I see you over there doing the math. Yep, in your head. Okay. In particular, the Olympics came to Pasadena and the Rose Bowl, which is near where I grew up. And I can't remember much about that summer besides going to an Olympic soccer game, getting all, I mean, all the Olympic paraphernalia that I could and watching the rest of the games on TV, like my life depended on it. Like I was actually in the Olympics. You know, that's largely been my experience with the Olympics. I love them. I love everything about them. The athletics, the camaraderie, the national pride, the international nature, all of it. So Sarah, Now that I just relived my Olympic, you know, vision when I was seven, what's your best memory of the Olympics? It was actually that I had put going to an Olympic Games on my bucket list. And then we actually went when they were in Vancouver. I have no idea what year that was, but I had a itty bitty baby at the time, a toddler, I don't know, something in that range. And we stayed with our friends who were in Vancouver and I actually got to see Apollo Ono in like the 
speed track, you know, skating. And then, and we got to, I mean, my kids are part Canadian. So we have photos of the little one, like holding up her like number one with the Canada stuff. I also bought all the gear. I think they only had boys sizes. So I bought like boys shirts or whatever it was, the cuts that fit me in the size. It was incredible and magical being there. I have a question for you though. Okay. So which country do you root for? Do you root for the US? Do you root for Japan? Do you root for Canada? I mean- Ooh, moment of truth. It depends. It totally depends on the, the sport in question. I have to say, like when it was hockey, it was the U.S. versus Canada. Like I will cheer for the U.S., but at the end of the day, if they're ever playing against each other. <gasps> actually, I think I have a photo of us, like me wearing a USA shirt and my husband wearing a Canada shirt and us looking pretty vicious watching the game on TV. Ooh, house divided. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he feels strongly about hockey. He's Canadian, so it'll be okay. But yeah, and Japan, I mean, I feel pride. I think this is where it's important to realize as human beings, right? It's not a only one thing, only one identity. I actually feel really comfortable rooting for all three countries because these are incredible athletes who've worked their butts off to represent whatever country they are involved in. And it's incredibly fun to support just anybody who is doing some really cool stuff with their bodies. So yeah, I don't just root for America. I definitely root for Japan and Canada sometimes too, being who I am. I do have a point about this though. You know, we talked about the best memories of the Olympics, who we root for and all that sort of stuff. And I talked about how I like that we can all be really humane and root for a lot of different teams. But One of the things I really, really, really have come to not like about the Olympics this year, besides the incredible threat that COVID presents, that I'm constantly getting updates from my friends who still live in Japan about. In fact, Tokyo apparently ran out of vaccines, so they are canceling all of the August vaccine appointments that have been made. Can you believe that? My brain is just exploding right now. But this year, I felt like to me, it really came to the forefront how Black athletes, and in particular Black female athletes, have been treated even like before a single Olympic event has happened. And at the time that we're recording this, uh, it's still unsure how and if events will even happen as planned. But the Huffington Post put together a great article called The Olympics Don't Want Black Women to Win. And if the headline doesn't tell it all, we're going to talk in today's episode about what you need to know and what you can do. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. We're your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and Misasha. So here's the start of some of the things you need to know. Earlier this month, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency announced that 21-year-old Shakari Richardson would be placed on a 30-day suspension after she tested positive for THC, which is the psychoactive compound in marijuana. And this disqualifies her from competing in the 100-meter race in which she just conquered her opponents and became the fastest woman in America, and it earned her instant stardom. I mean, hopefully you've heard of her by now. Richardson apologized on the Today Show and revealed that in an interview during the Olympic trials in Oregon, which is a state where recreational weed, or as a lot of friends who are in the industry are telling me, we need to start calling it cannabis, is legal, a reporter informed her that her biological mother had died. And she said to hear the news come from a complete stranger was triggering. And that, in addition to the pressure to perform, led her to ingest cannabis. And what she said was, I still have to go out and put on a performance for my dream, go out there and still compete. And from there, just blinded by emotions, just blinded by hurting, I knew I couldn't hide myself. In some type of way, I was just trying to hide my pain. So Richardson's going to undergo a treatment program and her trial results in the 100 meter race are going to be disqualified. 
Her suspension ends on July 28th, just two days before the Summer Olympics track and field meet begins. And if the track official had chosen, she could still be able to participate in the four by 100 meter relay, but they didn't. She will not be going to Tokyo. I just like to say the question, she shouldn't even having to justify why she used this related to her mother's death. I think that that is a red herring, but we'll talk about that more. Oh yeah, we have to talk about that because it's not a performance enhancing substance as we know. And we're going to talk about why these rules are completely. But if that weren't enough, there are two other female track and field stars, Christine Mboma and Beatrice Masalingi of Namibia, who were withdrawn in July from the 400 meter race as the World Athletics Governing Body deemed them ineligible for the women's competition for having a, quote, natural high testosterone level, according to the Namibia Olympic Committee. In a statement, the committee said that neither Mboma nor Masalingi, both 18, their families or coaches were aware prior to them taking medical tests for athletes with differences of sexual development. Can you imagine? World Athletics implemented the rule in 2019, and among others, it affected Castor Semenya of South Africa. And if you want to hear more about Castor Semenya, listen to episode 22, where we go into that story in detail. But the news of their restrictions came immediately after Mboma set an under-20 world record and the seventh fastest time ever recorded by a woman in the 400-meter race in Poland. At 48.54 seconds, it was her personal best and the fastest time recorded in the world this year. Masalingi's record at a race in April at 49.53 seconds is the third fastest time recorded in the event this year. And P.S., I'm like reading these times out and I can't even imagine running this in like, I mean, you're in multiples now where I would even consider being able to, I don't know. It takes my kids that long to put their freaking shoes on. I know, right? So they ran a 400 meter race basically in the amount of time that it takes me to sip a glass of water, I think, so that I'm not thirsty anymore. Though they are barred. <laughs> I was going to say, really? You drink a long water sip there, but okay. I drink, you know what? <laughs> it's slow, okay? But it's a slow drink of water, but it's a fast 400 meters, okay? That's my point. I know. Okay, I'm working on it. Though they are barred from competing in the 400 meter race, they will be able to compete in the 100 meter and 200 meter races allegedly. But I still don't get that. That seems inconsistent. They're either right. banned or they're not banned because of their bodies. So again, it seems so weird to me. You know, as Huffington Post notes, people may chalk the penalties that Richardson, Mboma, and Masalingi and other Black women are facing at this year's Olympics up to sort of, they're not following the rules, which is something I've heard from other white people. But this is deeper than that. And for starters, sporting rules are almost never created with Black women's unique experiences or advancement in mind. The rule that judges these women based on their testosterone levels came after Semenya's 2009 performance when she ran so fast she was misgendered and suspected of cheating. And that International Association of Athletics Federations, which is now known as World Athletics, performed an intensive investigation that included sex verification tests. So she was able to compete and won the 800-meter gold medal that year, Castor Semenya's battle has now become Mboma's and Masalingi's battle as they are blocked from competing in the 400 meters by this rule. And so I just want to pause and ask you this question. Honestly, like, what was your gut reaction when you heard this news? Well, I just shared the whole thought that I had about, you know, why would Richardson have to justify 
her marijuana use, if that's legal in that's the state where she is and on a larger issue, right? Why is it still illegal in the first place? It reminds me of this meme that I saw that said, if you can buy weed from somewhere that looks like the Apple store now, how can we still be sending people to prison or making this a crime for that, right? Because it's not, I mean, clearly those two things should not be connected. And it takes me back to how, Sarah, when we read The New Jim Crow for our podcast book club, like understanding the history of why these laws are in place is really, really crucial to understanding who they were meant to penalize in the first place and why we still have them. I mean, what were your thoughts? I think exactly that. Like I actually had the conversation about how I didn't think these laws are archaic and outdated and should absolutely not apply, especially because there's nothing performance enhancing about them. And I don't think that everybody's banned alcohol. So if we go look at the science, you know, why are we doing this? It's not arbitrary, but why are we still imposing these? We really need to take a hard look at these laws. And I know also on the sex verification test front, it's really a loaded topic for a lot of people, right? I get it. I get that it feels unfair to have someone who, because men and women, if we're really like, we're built biologically differently, right? I get that there is concern about that. But I think what we've seen is this consistent slide into having to provide sex verification tests right now in Florida for kids who want to play kids, elementary school kids who want to play on their sport. Are you happy to have your daughter have to get her genitals examined to prove that she's a girl so she can play school sports? Like, we really have to reevaluate this holistically and consistently, I think, in a way that makes sense. So that was my thought. But I do want to also point out that those two things are not the end of disparate treatment for Black athletes in the Olympics. Because have you heard of the soul cap? Did you hear this? I mean, I, I saw it on the news and it just blew my friggin' mind. I love the soul cap. It was invented in 2017 in Britain by Michael Chapman and Tox Ahmed Salawuddin because while taking an adult swim class, the two noticed that Black swimmers might benefit from a swim cap designed with extra room at the crown to fit more sort of voluminous natural hairstyles like braids and locks and afros. And so the founders of this swim cap applied to officially register their product with FINA, which is the International Swimming Federation, for use in the Olympics competition. And they were denied, saying that the caps didn't follow, quote, the natural form of the head. My eyes rolled all the way back in my own head at that one. Right. You know, and just so you know, there's no restriction on soul cap swim caps for like recreational and teaching purposes, but for competition, they were told that they cannot. Now, keep in mind, these are bigger. Some would argue, I mean, I'll talk about this in a second, but basically these swim caps that are made by large athletic equipment companies like Speedo, right? You've seen those and they've been like the traditional choice in aquatic sports forever. And the soul cap is simply an alternative option. It's made of silicone. So the soul cap doesn't differ materially from many other swim caps. And it's bigger than most swim caps, so it can be seen by many swimmers as a competitive disadvantage. So again, it boggles my mind why this was not permitted. You know, as the New York Times noted in a recent article, Leah Neal, who is a two-time Olympic medalist who made history as the second black female swimmer to make a U.S. Olympics team, she's never used the sole cap, but thinks that the backlash FINA faced for its initial decision was progress for the sport in general. And she said, this is so much bigger than banning a type of cap. And I think when she says that, the automatic follow-up question is how much bigger, right? Well, a 2020 study published in the International Journal of Aquatic Research and Education links, quote, systematic exclusion from public pools, 
with black youth being 2.6 times more likely to die from drowning as swimming is not only a sport, but also potentially life-saving skill. And that makes me think of the sum of us, right? And how public pools were not only segregated, but then when they were forced to be desegregated, were closed, right? So if you think it's just about a cap, it's really also about access. According to Danielle Obi, the chair and a founder of the Black Swimming Association, which is an organization in Britain that is focused on increasing diversity in aquatics, inclusion is the first step towards making Black swimmers more visible and more willing to get in the water. Fina's ruling, she said, feels, even if just symbolically, like yet another barrier for Black swimmers to participate in the sport, particularly for Black women who usually have more hair, in her words. We're always policed on what we can wear and what our bodies are looking like and what our hair is looking like, she said. They're just trying to make it difficult for us to have ease when participating. And as a side note, if this is a new discussion for you around the policing of Black hair, check out episodes 15.5, 23, and 24 to learn more about Black hair and how it's viewed in America. We had some excellent conversations around this topic. Hey, this is Mary. And this is David. We are the co-hosts of the Third Place Podcast, where we talk about awkward conversations. Some of our top episodes include reframing negative emotions like anger and shame, and discussing addictions to substances or even things like pornography. We also address really charged subjects like grief, suicide, and racism, while some surprisingly fun episodes revolved around dwarfism, negotiation, and even politics. One thing is true, there is no shortage of uncomfortable conversations to be had. And our goal is pretty simple, to help create a depth of relationships with ourselves and others by hosting these deemed awkward topics in a safe digital place, equipping ourselves and our listeners with some really easy tools to extend humility, curiosity, and most importantly, compassion. One of our latest episodes is with Ryan Wynette from the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center, and it's all about implicit bias. It was such a rich conversation that we really feel will resonate with the Dear White Women tribe. So please go check it out wherever you find your podcasts and let us know what you think. Be well. You know, so as the Huffington Post, it's like my source of choice today, notes, it's unfair that a young black woman mourning her mother is penalized for using weed, which is a plant that is the basis of a multi-million dollar industry and that is legal for recreational use in 18 states and for medicinal use in 36 states, Right. It's utterly unjust that two teenagers with naturally high testosterone levels can be banned from competing in certain events. And it's totally dehumanizing that black swimmers can't race in caps that actually fit over their hair because a white run organization said their hair isn't the natural form. Let's also not forget that according to Rule 50 from the International Olympic Committee, while the phrase Black Lives Matter will be banned from athletes apparel, other slogans and words like peace, respect, solidarity, inclusion, and equality will be allowed. Athletes could also face punishment if they violate the rule with the committee saying it'll review such violations on a case-by-case basis. And they said last month that athletes will not be allowed to protest during the competitions as part of its longstanding ban on demonstration or political, religious, or racial propaganda. In particular, Rule 50 outlaws kneeling as a form of protest, which obviously is linked with the Black Lives Matter movement in this country. So we'll see how this all plays out. So for those of you who are listening and who are as outraged as we are and are asking, what can you do to help? Here's something that may be uncomfortable, but will definitely be effective if we do this together. Don't watch. 
if your immediate reaction to that was what, please, (laughs) that's how I imagine it in my head, please still hear me out. The Olympics, as we've seen, since we're still holding it in a year in which COVID is unchecked in many countries, including parts of our own, is fundamentally all about money. It's capitalism at its best or perhaps at its worst, right? Sure, it's about sports and athleticism, but if it was really about humanity and international competition and the purity of the whole endeavor and all of that, then we wouldn't have disparate treatment. We wouldn't have countries banned for life, for cheating, suddenly be able to show back up. And we wouldn't be holding it during a global pandemic. Why we're holding it now is simple. It's dollars or whatever currency, right? Lots and lots of it. So why not take away some of those dollars by something that you can do, which is to decide how to spend your own family's capital. Watch something else. Talk about why you're making this decision as a family. Learn about the history of protests in the Olympics. There's a lot of it. Or in sports in general. When Colin Kaepernick didn't play again in the NFL, coincidentally, in that same year that he started kneeling in protest, that was the year that our family stopped watching football. Do we love football? Yeah. Are we willing to love something more than our own personal comfort? Absolutely. And as a side note, do we think that the NFL, suddenly including Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Black National Anthem, makes up for all of that? Hell no. I love all of that. Now, we were going to talk about a lot more on this episode, including the continued assault on voting rights in this country, how a white woman's tears in a Victoria's Secret means that we still have a lot of work to do, and some of the other news we're following this summer. But since this is totally on brand, we are, again, running out of time. We like to talk. So here's what we would like you to do. Continue to stay alert about causes that matter to you. Use your voices and speak up about them. Vote with your wallet. And sometimes that means turning off your TV. Listen to the rest of this summer series for more practical tips and keep following us on social media at Dear White Women Podcast to dive deeper into what we're talking about. We are all in this together as a recent sign about COVID reminded us. And we need each other more than ever. You're still here learning how to uproot systemic racism one conversation at a time. Our fresh news We have a brand new book that's available for pre-order. So find us on bookshop.org at Dear White Women and order. And then make sure you follow the Dear White Women podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts so you can keep getting the newest episodes each Wednesday. And don't forget to rate and review us as you share our show with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast and Twitter at DWW Podcast. And if you love us, support our Patreon or look for ways you can bring us into your place of employment or circle of influence for a talk or ask us about our webinars and consulting work. Thanks for being here.